In February 2013, a couple identified as John and Mary were walking their dog on their property in Northern California. Though they had walked this course many times uh, before, they discovered a rust-colored can just kind of sticking above the ground a little bit, and it created a little bit of curiosity. And so John began digging around the can with a piece of wood that he had found. And uh, when he got it out, it proved to be very heavy. It seemed like, gosh, this must be filled with, with lead or iron or something like that. On their way back to their house, with the weight of the can, the, the lid popped open. And just enough that they could see inside that there was a gold coin and so they opened it up right away, and it was full of gold coins. And so they, they took this back to their house, and, and, and they decided to come back, and they brought some digging tools, and they went right back to the same area. And within a foot of where they dug that up, there was another can, and, and it too was filled with gold coins. And, you know, they went back and... It took quite a while, but over a period of time, in returning and looking on their property for more cans, they found a total of eight cans filled with gold coins. In fact, it was 1,427 gold coins. Most of them were uh, $20 gold coins, and there were a few that were larger than that. The gold coins were dated from 1866 to 1894. The estimation at that time, the early estimation was, this is worth about $10 million. But John and Mary were pretty careful about this, and they, they sought advice from experts. And some of the coins were in mint condition. And some of them uh, have been rated as uh, best in existence. Some of those coins are worth a million dollars. Now, you can go today online on eBay, and you can buy one of them, one of just the ordinary gold coins, for $11,500. Just look up for the Saddle Ridge Hoard. This was the largest find of buried treasure in U.S. history to date. You know what? I think Jesus would have loved this story. Because that's just what the kingdom of heaven is like. And we see this in the hidden treasure in chapter 13 and verse 44. And before we jump in, just remember that Jesus had been teaching about the kingdom of heaven. He'd been teaching about secrets of the kingdom, things that had not yet been revealed. And, um, you know, he's, he's, tell, he's been telling parables so he's been telling uh, things that are very familiar with them, a story that, oh yeah, that, that, that makes sense. But in doing that, he has been communicating spiritual truth. He's been, he's been communicating the spiritual reality behind his story. And that's, why, that's how he's been communicating the secrets of the kingdom. And so we see the comparison in, in verse 44. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like, there's the comparison, is like treasure hidden in a field. 
Jesus uh, wants us to see a comparison. There is something about treasure hidden in the field that is like the kingdom of heaven. Discovery is also in verse 44, the second part. And, and when a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy, he went and sold all he had. And he, he bought that field. Now, in this case, he didn't own the field. But it was not uncommon in ancient times for people to bury their treasure as a security measure. You know, they didn't have like banks and safety deposit box, and they didn't have these big safes that they could build in the wall of their home. Um, they buried their treasure, and, and especially if there was an invading army coming. And by the way, that happened a few times in, in the history of Israel where people were just annihilated, and, and people knew that the invaders were coming. And what people would do if they had valuable things, they, they would bury them someplace with the intentions of going back when it was safe. But sometimes the people who buried the treasure didn't survive. And so the treasure remained, sometimes for decades, sometimes even for centuries. Now, this was a fascinating story for Jesus' audience. Um, they loved his teaching. They would have understood why a man would sell his property. Um, uh, and that's the discovery in verse 44. I just jumped ahead. Uh, when a man found it, he hid it again, and then uh, his, in his joy he went and sold all that he had, and he, he bought that field. Now, they would have understand. Why do you do that? Why, you, why do you make that kind of sacrifice? Well, it just makes perfect sense to them. The significance, the kingdom of heaven is like that. Well, how so? Well, it's a tremendous discovery, right? When you entered into the kingdom of heaven, it was a tremendous discovery, right? When a person understands its immediate value and its eternal value, it's worth everything. But I'm not sure we get that. We think about the immediate value. How, how can it help me? How does it help me today? How does it make me happier? How do I get peace out of this? How do I get the things that I need? And Jesus wants us to know it's worth everything. This parable is about the incredible worth of the kingdom of heaven. This has been a secret for Jesus' audience. It was entirely a new concept, and it was very exciting. But they didn't realize how things would unfold. They didn't realize that Jesus would be crucified and that he would die on a cross and, and that he would pay the penalty for their sins. They didn't realize that he would rise again on the third day demonstrating his victory over sin and death. They didn't, they didn't realize he was the Son of God, equal to the Father. They didn't realize that the good news of Jesus would be proclaimed all around the world. They didn't realize that for those who put their trust in him, 
that their sins could be forgiven, that they would be given eternal life, that they would become children of God, that they would be citizens of heaven. They didn't realize that God would give them the Holy Spirit to, to live in them and, and that the Holy Spirit would guarantee their eternal relationship with God and that the Holy Spirit would be there to enable them to follow Christ. They, they didn't realize that. They didn't realize that one day Jesus would return and establish his eternal kingdom. They didn't see these things coming. But you know what they learned? The kingdom of heaven has incredible worth. And they don't know what that is yet. But you do, right? You do. The Apostle Paul understood this in, in Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 through 9. And the Apostle Paul said, But whatever, whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. When the Apostle Paul thought about his own life and when he thought about all that he had done, all that he had accomplished, when he thought about his education, when he, when he thought about uh, where he had come from and how important his position was among the 12 tribes of Israel and that he was a Pharisee and that he was zealous for God. He, he pursued Christians because because of their false teaching. He says, I, for, for, for whose sake I have lost all things, I consider them garbage. He looks at his old life and he says, it's just really garbage in comparison. Why? That I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that that, that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. The Apostle Paul understood the value of knowing Christ. He understood the immediate value and the eternal value. He would have been the guy to sell everything. He'd go all, go all in. He called it the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Do you see the incredible worth of knowing Christ Jesus, our Lord? I fear that we just so easy take it for granted, don't we? Oh, hum, you know, it's just another day. It's hard. I'm busy, I'm tired. Do we understand the surpassing value, the incredible worth of what God has provided for us? In verses 45 and 46, we have another parable. We have the pearl of great price. The comparison is in verse 45, and he says again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. There's something about a merchant in search of pearls that's like the kingdom of heaven. The discovery in 46, when he found one of, 
uh, of great value. He, he went away and sold everything he had, and he bought it. Here is an, an experienced merchant in purchasing pearls, and he's an expert. Um, he, he found a pearl of ex exquisite quality. It was amazing, and, and he realized he, he needed to take action, and he, and he needed to do that now. So he pulls together all of his resources, and he's willing to sell everything he has, everything. Because he knows this pearl is worth more than everything he has. This pearl has incredible worth. The significance? The kingdom of heaven is like that, Jesus tells us. When you discover, discover its incredible worth, you'd be willing to give all that you have. Do you know that yet? Now, it's not about purchasing, you know, giving up all your resources to purchase the kingdom of heaven. Can't do that. Can't be earned. Can't be bought. Because it's a gift. But do you understand how incredibly valuable it is? When Stan Caffey was to be married again, he and his fiance decided that, you know, they had too much stuff, and so they just made a plan that they would sell everything they didn't need and they would donate uh, whatever else they could. And so they, they, this included things like clothing and tools and computers and a tattered old copy of the Declaration of Independence that was hanging in Stan's garage. Michael Sparks spotted that old, tattered copy of the Declaration of Independence at the Goodwill store, and so he bought it, $2.48. But Michael Sparks found out, and he had a hunch that it might be something important, he found out that it was a copy made in 1823, so, you know, a hand copy of the Declaration of Independence in 1823, and so he sold it for $477,650. The kingdom of heaven is like that. It's way more valuable than you think it is. The kingdom of heaven is like that. We come to another parable, and it's the last section of Matthew 13 where Jesus is teaching. And it's the parable of the net, verses 47 through 52. So we start with the comparison in 47. Once again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was let down into the lake and caught all kinds of fish. There is something about the kingdom of heaven that's like a fisherman's net, which would be really common to his audience. And by the way, they're probably right there on, in Capernaum on the north shore of the Sea of Galilee, and that's where all the fish were caught, it, on the Sea of Galilee, in the Sea of Galilee. The story is in verse 48. When it was full, when the net was full, the fishermen 
pulled it up on the shore. Then they sat down and collected the good fish in baskets, but they, but they threw the bad away. Now, this old-school fishing net, sometimes called a dragnet, used on the Sea of Galilee. Now, think about this. This net could be 750 to 1,000 feet wide. That's a big net for those little fishermen. And on each end of the dragnet, it might be about five feet in depth. But down in the middle, it, might, it would be up to 25 feet in depth. And that net had uh, both floats and anchors to give it balance, and then it would be pulled along by two boats. And as the boats moved, the net gathered fish. When the fishermen pulled the nets in, they had fish that, was, that were good for market. And then they had fish, and, and those things had to have fins and scales if they were good for market in Israel. And everything else got tossed, not good for food. The significance is in verses 49 and 50. Here it is. Jesus said, this is how it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come and separate the wicked from the, righteousness, from the righteous and throw them into the blazing furnace where, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This sounds a whole, like, whole lot like the parable of the of wheat and weeds where the angels come at the end of the age and they separate the righteous from the unrighteous. The kingdom of heaven is going to be like that, in that. The kingdom of heaven is like the work and influence of Jesus on earth from his first coming in the first century until he comes again for a second time. And when he does, when he comes a second time, there is going to be a great judgment on this earth. This has been a secret in past times to hear about it in this way. Heaven is made for the righteous and hell is made for the unrighteous. The Apostle John describes it in this way. So John writes about it. He has a, a vision of it and he says, then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it, and that would have been Jesus. John sees Jesus here. The earth and the heavens fled from his presence, and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. Next slide. The dead were judged according to what they had done, as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them, and each person was judged according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. Anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. This is a final judgment. At this judgment, it's only the dead. Who are the dead? 
those who have been separated out, the unrighteous, because those who are alive are the ones in the kingdom of heaven. And there is a second death. And, and John describes it here, cast into the lake of fire. It's a spiritual death for those that Jesus judges as unrighteous. Everyone faces a physical death, at least according to Hebrews 9.27. And yes, I hope Jesus comes back and takes me to be with him and I don't have to experience that physical death. But if we continue on like this, we're all going to face a physical death. Hebrews 9.27 says, Just as people are destined to die once, that's just normal, after that to face judgment. What about people ask the question sometimes, is there an afterlife? Absolutely, there is. Absolutely, it's exactly what the Bible teaches. There is a genuine heaven and there is a genuine hell. The Bible is very clear. Jesus concludes this section in verses 51 and 52, and he says, Have you understood these things? Yes, they replied. I don't think so, but, you know, have you, have you ever answered anybody with the answer you thought they wanted because you weren't sure? You know, maybe I understand some of it, maybe I don't. The disciples uh, occasionally said some pretty silly things, but I don't think it makes any difference if they understood it or not. They get messed up shortly after this. Um, Jesus concludes this section in verse 52. He said to them, Therefore, every teacher of the law who has become a disciple in the kingdom of heaven is like the owner of a house who brings out of his storeroom new treasure as well as the old. So here we have a, another little short parable. And the kingdom of heaven is like. When you think of a teacher of the law in the first century, you would think of someone like a Pharisee, someone like a scribe of the Old Testament, a teacher of the law of the Old Testament. But here Jesus is talking about a disciple in the kingdom of heaven. I think the direct application here is for his own disciples. Because they are going to be the teachers of the new covenant. And I think there's an application for us as well. Like the owner of the house, and first that would probably refer to Jesus, and then it will refer to his followers, they must bring out both the old and the new treasures when they teach. Treasures of the Old Covenant and treasures of the New Covenant. And it's not just picking one. You know, the scribes and the Pharisees, they liked the Old Covenant, and they would never accept the New Covenant or the New Testament. But his disciples are going to need to do both. They're, need to, they're going to need to understand the context of the Old Testament and how the New Testament fits in and be able to teach both the Old and the New Testament just like we do today. Except they may be better at it.
And it's not just the Old Testament. It's not just the New Testament. We need the balance of both. The challenge for us, I picked Matthew 6, 33 as a challenge for us. And Jesus said, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. That's about priorities, our priorities. What is of first importance to you right now, today? What's, what's of first importance? If you are a follower of Christ, have you lost sight of the incredible worth of knowing Christ? What are, what, are, what are the priorities? What are those things that you put first today? Sometimes it might be family. And, you know, family is really important. But we can really get off course when we put our family first. God cares about our family way more than we do. What's, what's the most important priority that you have? The most important thing. Is it your job? Your, your education? Your, your personal wants? Your desires? Your addiction? What, what is the highest priority in your life? What drives you? What, what comes to the top? When you think about that, what changes do you need to make? How do you realign your own heart? That's a good question. We're going to share in communion today, and that's really a good question to ask today. Where's your heart? What's the most important thing for you right now? And if you're not yet a follower of Christ, consider putting your trust in Him. Consider doing that today. I just want to remind us if you're not yet a follower of Christ, I want to just remind everyone here, what are the basics that we need, to, we need to know, we need to understand? The first thing is, Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All have sinned. Uh, this is a description of all human beings on planet Earth. There is no one perfect, there has been one perf person perfect in the history of the world, and his name is Jesus. We have all failed God in, in some way, in different ways. And when we violate one of God's standards, it's, it's called sin. The second thing we need to know is that the wages of sin is death, Romans 6.23, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. You know, wages are, are just what we earn uh, they're designed to be what we deserve and may not always be the case in, in your workplace, but um, wages are, the wages of sin is what God thinks we earn. And it says the wages of sin is death, and death refers here to spiritual death, and it leads to the second death that we see in Ro uh, Revelation chapter 20. Um, spiritual death is eternal separation from God. Je Jesus called it hell, and he said it's a place of pain and suffering. The good news is, Romans 5a, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. 
And that's because God loves us. I don't know why. God loves you. I don't know why. But he sent his son Jesus into our world on a mission which was God's plan to transact our salvation. His mission included dying on a cross. He died for us. The point is, we deserve death. We do not deserve eternal life. It, it has to be a gift. Jesus took our place and he, he, he experienced the wages of our sin. And God accepted his sacrifice as a payment, a ransom, a redemption for us. And that's true because of who Jesus is. The Son of God. He is equal with his Father. And a lot of people really miss that. Because Jesus is God, his life is infinitely valuable and way bigger than all of the sin penalty of the entire world. Way bigger. It's incredibly valuable the life of Jesus what must I do well you can't earn your salvation but you can believe God's message because that's what he asked for us John 3 16 for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. This is good news. Not getting what we deserve. This is kind of a... John 3.16 is a summary of, of Jesus' life and purpose. God so loved us, and I don't know why he loved me. He so loved you and me that he sent Jesus Jesus is the one who lived life without sin. This is a hidden secret of the kingdom to many in our world today, isn't it? They don't understand this. And that's why Jesus left us, the rest of us, to help people understand. God revealed these things 2,000 years ago. And we have the privilege of knowing these things. The life of Jesus has incredible worth. And God has given us one requirement, and that is to believe in Jesus. He died on a cross, but he is not dead, is he? Because on that very first Easter, Easter he, he arose from the grave. And right now, I don't think people think about this very often. Right now, Jesus is sitting at the right hand of God. If you could be there, you could see him in person. You could touch him if you could be at the right hand of God right now. And he knows what's going on here. And he knows what goes on in our lives every day. And he knows when we pray. And he cares. And he wants to have a relationship with each one of us. The question is, is can, you, can you trust him? Can you, can you believe in Jesus? That he, that he died for you, that he took your place. That's, 
That makes it personal. I used to think that Jesus died for the world, and somehow I, managed, I, I pictured the globe out there in space, and that Jesus died for the globe. And when I began to understand the gospel, it was explained to me, no, it was you, Jerry, that he died for. He knows your name. He knows every hair on your head. He knows all about you. He knows your sin, and he still loves you. That's personal. And so what, what God is waiting for is a personal response back from each one of us. And I know many here in the room already have made that decision, but there may be some here today who haven't made that decision yet. And I just want to take a, a couple of minutes to give people an opportunity if they've never placed their faith in Christ before and they would like to today. You know, to believe in Jesus is a, is a decision. It's not a feeling. It's a decision. It's a choice that we have. It means to trust. It means to have confidence in. It means to rely on. It means to have faith. One way that we express faith is by talking to God, telling God what we're thinking. And we can tell God that we want to trust him. And so I want to just suggest a prayer for us today. And I'm going to go through it two times, but I'm going to go through it once, and, and nobody has to bow their head. I just want you to look up here. I want to go through the prayer and just so that you understand it. And then I'm going to give us an opportunity to, to bow our heads and, and just pray that silently from where you are if you, if you want to. So here's the prayer. Um, just It's simple. Dear God, I, I admit that I'm a sinner. Thank you for sending Jesus to die for me. Right now, I, I want to trust him to save me from, from the penalty of my sin. And God, I, I want your help to be the kind of person that you want me to be. You know, it can be that simple, to express your faith, your trust in Jesus Christ. So let's just all bow our heads. And I want to go through this prayer again. And if you're here today and you've never placed your faith in Christ, I want to just invite you to pray silently with me. Just to be honest with God and to be serious with Him. Dear God, I admit that I'm a sinner. Thank you for sending Jesus to die on the cross to pay the penalty for my sin. And, and right now, God, I want to just tell you that I, I trust Jesus. I trust that he paid the penalty for my sins when he died for me. And God, I just ask that you'll give me a fresh start today. I need you to help me be the kind of person that you want me to be. Now, if everybody would just keep their heads still bowed. If you, if you prayed that prayer, would you mind just slipping up your hand so I can see? If you prayed along with me, just slip up your hand wherever you are. Okay. Thank you. And then, Father, I want to pray for, for all of us uh, today that we would put your kingdom and your priorities first. Help us to be honest before you about acknowledging things that we have put ahead of you at times. May we 
desire just to put you back on the throne so that you are Lord and we are the servants. Help us to value the incredible worth of knowing Christ Jesus, our Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. We're going to close our time this morning with communion. And um, communion is when we just take the time to remember that the sacrifice of Jesus Christ is incredibly valuable. This is the relationship that God provided for us and that God has called us to remember who he is and what he's done for us, to remember who Jesus is, to remember what Jesus did for us, that he died on the cross, that he paid the penalty. And so um, we have uh, sealed communion. We've been doing this since COVID. And um, I'm going to pray in just a minute. The bread, the wafer in here, is a symbol. It doesn't make any difference, you know, it's not the kind of bread you prefer or not. It's just a, re it's a reminder. That's, that's what's important. And, and, the, and the juice, the cup of juice, represents the blood of Jesus Christ. And when we share this together, we are to remember. It's to remind us. May we never forget it. May we be humble when we think about what Jesus has done for us. Jesus has called his church to do this, to come together. This is real community. This is real fellowship when we share in the life of Christ. When we share the value of knowing him together. When we share this reminder, we are sinners saved by grace through faith. We don't deserve it. It's been a gift. And it's incredibly valuable. Let's pray together. As we, um, as we think about these things, just ask God to examine your own heart. And if there's anything you need to confess, because God has instructed us to examine our hearts before we share it, just in this time of communion. Ask God to, to show you if there's anything that has taken priority in your life or sin that has not been confessed to him. And then just be honest with him. And we just thank God that he's given us the promise that if we confess our sins that he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sin and purify us of all unrighteousness. And now God, we thank you for the bread that reminds us of Jesus' body that was nailed to a cross for us. We thank you also for, for that cup that reminds us of his blood that was shed as a payment for our sin. May we be humbled in your presence. May we exalt you as our Lord. and consider ourselves 
your servants. For Jesus' sake, amen.